Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Hi there, this is Susie, and you're listening to the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast, where we cover everything related to helping you and the employees and the organizations you work in build a high commitment, low drama, wake up eager workforce. More specifically, we provide tools, tips, and expert interviews about assessment certification and expertise. And all of this information can be used throughout the employee life cycle for hiring, onboarding, team building, leadership development, succession planning, and conflict resolution. And I'm super excited to be here today podcasting again, getting back on a normal schedule. We're episode 81, and today's focus is hiring with Trimetrics, why and how it works. I'm excited about this because we're really going to go into detail We're going to talk about not only the interview process and not only trimetrics, we're going to talk about interview mistakes and just it's just a very content rich program. So I'm excited to share it with you. This information comes directly from the information we use with our clients, but there's some new information in here and some information from my book. So if you are a client, you will get additional information. And if you want to watch the video, we do have a video of this with the PowerPoint slides. We'll also have the PowerPoint there for you to access and also a transcript. You can go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash hiring with trimetrics. Hiring with trimetrics is all lowercase and all one word. So it's pricelessprofessional.com forward slash hiring with trimetrics for watching the video, getting the PowerPoint slides and getting the transcript. So this episode is for people who are curious about Trimetrics. So if you've never used Trimetrics, you will learn something here and this will be comfortable for you. If you're new to Trimetrics, it's going to help you go from being brand new to feeling more competent and comfortable. And if you're somebody who's been using Trimetrics, this will be a great refresher and help you move more toward the expert status in regard to using the tools and and help with the interview process. Here's what we're going to cover, why use Trimetrics and why job fit matters. I'm really going to make the case for you today about that. We're going to look at what it measures and how to read a candidate report. So you're going to see very specific granular information about, okay, I've got a report in front of me. What do I do with it? I'm going to show you a four-step process for hiring when you're using Trimetrics. And then you're going to have all sorts of tools and insight, as I alluded to when I started and was excited about, about improving your interview expertise and helping your interview team do a better job. So let's go into why I use Trimetrics. This is a great quote that I like. I always use it um, because it just gets to the point. It's by Peter Drucker, and it says, the ability to make good decisions regarding people represents one of the last reliable sources of competitive advantage, since very few organizations are very good at it. So people aren't really good sometimes about making decisions about people because people are so complex and they don't really have a structure. And sometimes and we'll talk about some of the mistakes we make in interviewing. It happens all the time when we're making decisions. So we want to get better at making decisions in interviewing and with promotions and with development so we can have that competitive advantage. So it, it's important because 
turnover is expensive. And when we make a hiring mistake, we can call it the silent killer of profitability. And that's because when somebody leaves, you have a great loss and a great impact. And I've got a little formula here. It's from the book Top Grading by Bradford Smart. It's the third edition of a best-selling book, Top Grading. But what I've got is a little formula that he shares, which is we show a team of 25. And if they had two people turnover in the year, two people left this year, we would calculate their, their loss at one and a half times their average salary. So we just used $50,000 as an easy number. If two people left, each person's leaving, if they made $50,000, one and a half times is what Bradford Smart in Top Grading tells us is the cost of turnover per person. And so it would be $75 per person, a total of $150,000 for this 25-person team when they have two people turnover. And so that what they're talking about, and that's what what alludes to the silent killer of profitability, because it is somewhat normal to have a 25-person team and have two people leave, unfortunately. And we want to make sure we're doing things to help them be a good fit and be successful in the job so we don't have the unwanted turnover. When we're talking about one and a half, and top grading talks about one and a half to eight times a person's salary, depending on the impact. So if somebody who's an executive leader or someone who you know touches a lot of clients in sales could have a higher impact than just one and a half their average salary. But that's including things like loss, loss during the time the position is open, is the time it takes to hire, getting somebody up to speed, of course, all the things you normally think about recruiting, all the time that the manager had to spend with the person leaving, and then all the extra time spent trying to hire new people. So it's very expensive to lose people. We don't want to make interview mistakes. And so I want you to, I've got a list of some of the top interview mistakes and I want, I'm going to read them out to you. And if you're watching the video, you'll see them on the screen, but out of these mistakes that people make in interviewing, what are the top three? So one is not being prepared. Two is over-focusing on background and resume. Three is not taking notes. Four, not asking the right questions. Five personal bias, six, not asking candidates for specific examples of performance, seven, interviewing alone, eight, talking too much, nine, leaning too heavily on gut instinct. So I just read nine interview mistakes. We talk about in our quiz, we have a complimentary quiz that we make available to you. I'll give you access to that in a minute that we talk about the top 13. This is nine that I just shared with you. What are the top three? Well, I'll tell you what they are. It's over-focusing on background and experience is one of the top three mistakes because so many people do it and we need to look beyond what you can see. So the Department of Labor talks about this, that 70% of the time when people fail in a role, they fail because of personal skills, things like time management or not able to be a team player or not having being accountable for their actions or they can't manage their emotions. So if we just look at the resume and the background and we make most of our decision there, we're not taking into account the things that you can't see that aren't black and white. And so we have to look at that during an interview. And so we want to we want to avoid these mistakes so we don't have that high 
costs of loss, one and a half to eight times someone's salary. Trimetrics, this is we're talking still about why use Trimetrics. Trimetrics will help managers look beyond what they can see, help them look at those things like personal skills and motivation and take that into consideration as they're making their decision. The second of the top three is personal bias. And this is unconscious bias that we have. Malcolm Gladwell is an author who's written many books. And one that was written a while back was called Blink. And he talks about this thing about we have unconscious bias, that we make a decision in the first two seconds of situations. And it can work for us a lot of times, but it is deadly. And the dark side of our intuition when we're interviewing and hiring, because we tend to make a, if we're making a gut instinct, we like a person, we either don't like them, maybe they went to a college that you don't, you don't think is a great college, or maybe they look a certain way, or they don't look exactly like you. You wouldn't consciously do that, but uh, he shares a lot of research on that we do have bias that we're not even aware of. So that's why it's the second biggest interview mistake, because we're not aware of it. We just, we like somebody, we like their school because we we went to that school and we have good thoughts about that school and many other things. So the thing that Trimetrics helps us do is helps us be more objective about what the job needs for success. And I'm going to show you that process today so that our bias does not kick in unconsciously and cause us to make this what Gladwell says, the dark side of our intuition. So we use our intuition, which often can serve us, but in the interview process, it can it can cause us to make decisions that aren't always fully fleshed out. So a trimetrics is going to help you do that, help you be more objective. The third biggest interview mistake is another thing we're not conscious about, and that is talking too much. So we get excited about our the fact that we're interviewing, we are usually the people, if you're interviewing, you're the people who represent the company really well, and you have a favorable impression of the company, and you're excited about it, you're wanting to be a great host. And when we do that, we are we might miss candidate insights because we are very friendly and we talk too much. Sometimes people talk too much because they're nervous and they're not sure what to do in any interview. And what we guide interviewers to do is to speak uh, 25% of the time doing the interview and have the candidate speak the rest of the time. So think about the last interview you had. How much did you speak and how much did they speak? The more they're speaking, the more you're going to learn about them. And that is likely to happen if you have a plan and you know what you're looking for for the job. You, you're clear, not just on background and experience, but what are the personal skills that matter? What are the attributes that we have to have? And I'm going to show you how to do that today. But Trimetris is going to help hiring managers create a plan, help them be more focused, help them listen more and talk less. And they're going to be focused during the interview, especially if you have an interview team, which we recommend. We want the interview team to be very clear about the job and in some agreement about what is required for success in the job. And our process helps you do that, which you will see today. But they will be everybody will be focused on the job, not how much they like the candidate so that you're getting a better fit. So we want to make sure that we're digging below the surface. And that we are letting the candidate talk and that we know what the job needs and we're not over-focusing on background and resume. We do have, as I mentioned at the start of this 
section is an interview quiz that talks about the 13 mistakes, hiring mistakes that interviewers make. And you can check that out for free. It'd be a great training, something you could do as a part of a, just testing your expertise. Go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash 13 mistakes, one, three mistakes, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash one, three mistakes, all one word. And you can take that quiz. So we have an understanding of why to use Trimetrics. My point here was to show you how you could use Trimetrics to avoid some of these interview mistakes, because in hiring, there's always a risk. So we want to do everything we can to avoid that risk. And so that's why we're we're thinking about the hiring process. We're wanting to be thorough. We don't want to hire for background and then fire for attitude. We want to take it all into consideration. Somebody who that could have been a high performer at another organization in the same role may or may not be successful in your organization because it's a different, different dynamic and you want to just be able to hire smart and hire thoroughly. And this is a message from a user. This is why they use Trimetrics. And it's they're a top Trimetrics user. And they said, as a pre-employment tool, it is amazingly effective for putting the right person in the right seat. It helps us dig deeper in the second interview. It helps us figure out where good candidates may be a better fit in a role different from what they interviewed for. I particularly liked this, this quote and feedback from this hiring manager, because not only are they using it as they're interviewing candidates to dig deeper and and, and do the things that we want them to do and that they want to do, make sure they make a great, great hiring decision, but they're using it when they have a good candidate that comes in and that candidate scores really well in the assessments, is really great in the interview, has a great background, but maybe they're not the best fit for the role. And because they can, they have the assessment, they can figure out where they might be a better fit. They have a better understanding of who this candidate is, what they're motivated by, what their strengths are. And so that, you know, in this day and age, when you've got a good candidate, it, you want to hire them. And so this is a way they, they actually know the assessment well enough and they are able to help candidates figure out where they're a better fit and get a different position maybe than what they interviewed for. So I enjoyed that. That's another reason why to use Trimetrics. So Trimetrics, what is it? It helps you avoid this. And the picture that I have on the screen now is two people in vehicles. We've got a little boy in a car where you can't see over the dashboard in one picture. And then we've got a gentleman whose head is sticking out of the car while he's trying to drive. He's, you know, there's a hole in the roof and his head is sticking out. These people are good people that are trying to do a good job, but they're not a good fit. And so basically what Trimetrics does is it helps you unmask, you know, strengths and talents and helps reveal who someone is. And you, you avoid this good people in the job that can't do the job. And so what Trimetrics does is it helps you focus on fit. So that and literally in these pictures, you see they don't fit in the car. They cannot drive. And literally, sometimes we have that in a job. They're a good person and they have lots of great attributes, but they don't fit what matches for the job. And we want to avoid that. And the interesting thing is this is some research from the Gallup organization. And they figured out that three out of four adults don't really know what their strengths are and they're not using them on the job every day. And so people interview with you oftentimes because they need a job 
They may have a background and experience in some of the work, but they might not be a great fit or they just think the job is interesting or you're with a great company. So it ties to that feedback from the client about being able to help people find jobs that are a good fit within the company when they're great candidates. So it's interesting. So line four people up and three of them will not be able to successfully talk about their strengths and their talents and what the, what's a good fit for them in a job. And so when, and this is why fit matters. Fit is about strengths, someone's strengths matching what the job needs. And if we just know what our strengths are, the next day, we're 8% more productive. So when people get a report, you know, so when you're doing a team building or development and they begin to understand what their strengths are, maybe they've done some coaching and they start to understand what their strengths are, they're 8% more productive. So it makes sense. You know what your strengths are, so you're not foggy about it. You can list them and then you can take action based upon them. If they get to use their strengths on the job every day, they're six times, six times more likely to be engaged. So, you know, our focus here at Wake Up Eager Workforce is to create this wake up eager, literally wake up eager. I want to go to work because I get to do what I do best every day and I'm going to get to do it today. So it makes sense. It's common sense. Sometimes we miss it a little bit that or forget it. And so what we want to do is make sure that we have a fit. That's why we keep talking about focusing on fit and strengths and why that matters. You're three times more likely to say you have a high quality life. So you get to go to work every day. You're waking up eager. You're part of a team where everybody else is well-placed. They're waking up eager. I think you would call that a more high quality life when you're driving in and you're spending all your time with in an environment that is a good fit. Now, teams, 25-person teams, where all every team member says, hey, I get to do what I do best every day, they're 44% higher customer service scores and 38% higher productivity scores. Excellent research by the Gallup organization. They have done meta-analysis, which is taking numerous studies. They've interviewed millions of people through all kinds of industries across all kinds of people and this is great information. So your strengths matter, fit matters. And if you don't have, if you, if you have a great fit, it will impact their attitude, how someone works. We call it attitude. You know, how do they show up? How do you describe them? And I've got an example of three new hire attitudes. So say you've interviewed people, you've thought that you've done a good job. They seemed capable or you certainly wouldn't have hired them. They said all the right things. They you know, looked good in the interview. You, you were as thorough as you knew how to be. And, and I've done this because I was in human resources and I used to do hiring and I've made mistakes and I've done them, made good hires as well. But you have three, what we categorize as new hire attitudes after six months. So, you know, first six months, it's, a, it's often a honeymoon period. And then, you know, how are they performing? The first attitude, because I said there are three, is one that is like a car that looks good, but it's on blocks. You know, you ever see that in neighborhoods where all the wheels are off, so it can't run. And we call this, I look good, but I don't work attitude. So that can be a type of new hire that we don't want. You know, they're on the blocks. They, you know, it's a good looking car, but it can't run. And so that doesn't help you get the job done. And it's, pulling down the team. Another attitude is someone who is 
unreliable and inconsistent. And so we've got a guy pushing a car. So car sometimes works and oftentimes doesn't. And so he's pushing it. So we've got the unreliable and inconsistent attitude. And then the last is the champion attitude, which is we, what we see here is a gentleman on the top of a race car with his race suit on. It looks like it's an Oracle Formula One race car. He's standing on it and he looks like he just won. So we've got, I look good, but I don't work attitude. We've got unreliable and inconsistent attitude. And then we've got the uh, champion attitude. And so we, of course, we want the champion attitude. We want that somebody who's going to come in and they're going to have high personal accountability and and self-management and they're going to be motivated. They want to do the work that needs to be done. And so, you know, how do you get this champion attitude? So we want to look at that and basically what determines someone that has a champion attitude or has one of the other attitudes. And what we say is there's three things that determine whether they're going, what attitude they're going to have or how they're going to show up on the job. And what the very first thing is the thing I've been talking about fit for the job. Is this work something they can do, they can do, and they want to do? So a lot of times people want to be in the job, but are they going to show up six months, you know, two years down the road and still be energized and motivated to do the work? The second reason that you'll have a different attitude is how they're managed. We're not talking about that today, but if someone isn't managed well, they can go from a champion attitude at the start and turn into unreliable and inconsistent, or I look good and I don't work. (laughs) And sometimes that's about the culture. You know, does this company care about me? And do I care about this company? It can be how their manager is working with them. And the third thing that can show up is past habits that have formed over the years. And so somebody, and we measure some of that in the assessment for trimetrics with the personal skills, and we can look at how they're thinking and feeling and making decisions. And so if someone has habits that they formed over the years of being resistant to getting things done, being really frustrated or easily stressed out, or they have low resiliency or they blame people. A lot of that is measured in trimetrics and somebody can change that, but it requires a lot of effort and focus, you know, by the person to change. So those are three things that determine attitude. And what's most applicable to our conversation today is fit for the job. If they're fit, you're going to continue to reduce the risk of having anything like I look good, but I don't work or the unreliable and inconsistent person. And you're going to lean towards the champion attitude. So we're always talking about reducing risk and we want trimetrics to help you do that because trimetrics helps you focus on fit. And I've got a picture here of a nice gentleman with a beautiful smile. He fits the vehicle completely. And that's what we're going for when we're using the assessment and just throughout our entire hiring process. Another reason to use trimetrics is you can use it throughout the employee life cycle. You can use it in hiring, which is what we're talking about today, but you can also use it in onboarding. So once they come on board, there's a coaching report that you can use. And I have some sample content up here that you can see about communication do's and don'ts for new hire Harry. You can use it in team building. So you can help a team begin to understand their strengths and how they interact together. Leadership development, you can use it for that, help people grow and, and have them make sure that their, their personal skills 
match, you know, the future roles that they're going into, which ties to succession develop planning and conflict resolution is amazing with this. I've done this often where I'll facilitate conversations between folks who might be feuding and the process really works. The assessment really helps kind of highlight differences and similarities and helps people come together. So the beauty of using Trimetrics is not only can you use it to hire, but you can use it throughout the employee life cycle. So that's a lot of my job of sharing why you use Trimetrics. How does it fit? Why even think about using it with hiring with Trimetrics? Why even think about that? Now I want to tell you what it is, and we're going to actually look at sample assessments. So Trimetrics is a trimodal tool. And so when you think trimetrics, think about trimodal, meaning it measures three sciences, three views of a candidate, which is something that the Department of Labor recommends. So it measures communication and interaction style. It measures motivation, values, and interest in the work. And it measures personal skills and acumen. As you can see, previous to this slide or this conversation in the podcast, we use a lot of car analogies. So we're carrying it through again. We use a a car analogy to talk about trimetrics. So let's look at that and talk a little bit more about that. The communication and interaction style is in the car analogy, how we drive disc. It's the disc assessment. If you're familiar with that, it's a pretty popular tool. It just measures one aspect of us. It gets over applied oftentimes, but in this tool, we want to make sure you just apply it for how you drive, which is interaction and communication style five days a week. So what does the job need five days a week? And does this person's communication style match that? I'm going to show you how to do that. The second thing in our car analogy and in the trimetrics trimodal tool is gas in tank. You know, it's hard to get a car with no gas to go anywhere, right? (laughs) The gas tank is empty. You're not going anywhere. And that's what this part of the assessment measures. Each one of these are different sciences. There's different different developers, different reliability and adverse impact studies that confirm that these can be used in the marketplace and are EEOC compliant, but they're each measuring something different, but it gives you a fuller picture of a candidate. If you just did how we drive, you're only seeing one aspect. So gas and tank is not visible in the interview. A lot of times people, once they read their gas and tank results, if they're a somebody going through in a development program, it makes sense to them, but they weren't, it's an unconscious thing. So it's not always conscious. That's that thing that Gallup is reminding us of that three out of four adults can't name what their strengths are because part of our strengths is what we're motivated by. So this is a very powerful tool and it's a very great insight for you as a hiring manager to understand what causes this person to want to take action. So gas and tank is the second science in this trimodal tool. And the third science is horsepower or axiology, and that's the personal skills and acumen. This is not visible on the job. This is what you're going to see six months down the road. So when I was talking to you a little bit about the different attitudes, the stronger someone scores here in the horsepower axiology area, the more you're going to have a capable candidate. It's it's not the only thing because you got to look at everything but it's not visible from the side of the road and you have to get under the hood. That's what we call it, horsepower. You know, you have to get under under the hood in advance because you can't see it until they're on the job for a period of time. It's not IQ, it's not personality, it's not psychology, but it's telling you something very practical. 
And that is how this person thinks, feels, and makes decisions. So we measure personal skills. There's 25 personal skills, and you'll see those here in a moment. Things like self-management, planning and organization, leadership, resiliency, so many things. Personal accountability. Did I say that already? So there's a lot of a lot of important skills in this area, and you want to know about that. All right. So in and what the Department of Labor says, not only do they say measure three views of an individual before making any hiring decisions when you're using assessment, but use it for less than 30% of any decision. So we don't want to over apply as great as this tool is. We want to make sure we're interviewing. We don't want to just take an assessment and say, okay, that's how I'm going to hire people because that's not going to work. It's not enough information. You need to see their background and experience. You need to interview them, talk to their references. The assessment does give you a 30% that you're not aware of. And 30% is a big deal in making a, a, a complete and full decision when you're hiring. So what makes Trimetrics unique? I've got a graph here where you're looking at the different assessments across the top. And I've got Mount Myers-Briggs, Caliper, Predictive Index, DISC, FIRO-B, HBDI, Herman Brain Dominance Instrument, and Trimetrics is the last assessment on the far right. On the left-hand side, I've got the areas that I just talked about with trimetrics being how we drive, which is the disc assessment, gas and tank motivators, under the hood, personal skills. We also, which I'm not talking about here, but I highly recommend this other, other assessment tool, which measures sales acumen, which is knowledge of the sales process, because that can with salespeople, you know, they're good salespeople. So they may or may not be really good at the entire sales process. So it's good to know that up front. And the last thing that I've got on the left-hand side is measuring fit, matching the candidate to the job. That's the sweet spot right there. And what you'll see with all of these assessments, most of them and many of them I've taught are used over the years in my years in performance development and organizational development. But most of them do measure behaviorally. So how we drive what you can see. Myers-Briggs does. Caliper, FIRO-B, predictive index is mostly measuring behaviors, but there's only one tool that measures everything. It measures how we drive gas and tank under the hood. You can, it can be sales acumen can be added to it and it tells you fit. So Trimetrics is the king, in my opinion, because it gives you so much that you want to know about a candidate and it's particularly not only knowing information, having assessment on a candidate, but then how you can easily compare the candidate to the job. So that is very important. So I want to show you an example of this. One side, we're talking about background, goals, culture, interview, and that's stuff you could see, right? That's what you typically have. If you don't have an assessment, you're looking at the resume, you're thinking about the interview, you're thinking about, you know, talking about what they said they wanted to do. You, you know, took into account the things about culture, you know, how they, you know, all of that, what you can see. And then on the right-hand side of the slide is what Trimetrics measures, gas and tank, personal skills and acumen, uh, which is the horsepower, and then how they drive. And you've got two candidates. We've got Sandra and Sam. They're both interviewing for an account manager role. When you look at Sandra, I'm going to give each one of them a fit or risk scale for each area. So we're going to give them a score for background goals and culture on a scale of one to five. One is they're a poor fit and there's the greatest risk in that in these areas. Three is this a fair fit. 
So there's some risk. And five is this an excellent fit. So one to five, one is poor, five is excellent. And we're thinking about risk and we're thinking about these two areas. So we've got Sandra. She got a 4.5 out of five. So she has is an excellent fit. Like she was great in the interview. She had the right background. She seemed to be a fit. She said all the right things around what the future goals are. But when she took the trimetrics assessment and they matched her scores to what the job needed, then she only got a two, which is getting close to the poor fit. So remember one to five, one is poor fit, five is excellent fit. One is greatest risk, five is less risk because there's always risk, right? So Sandra, four and a half on the background and everything you could see, two on the trimetrics. So they got additional information from the trimetrics assessment. And so her total score, if you if you multiply four and a half times two, it equals nine. Sam, Sam had a three on background goals and culture for this role. He didn't have quite the background that Sandra had. So he's a fair fit. That's what three is. If you can look at this slide, you'll see it fair fit. There's some risk because he doesn't have the exact background that Sandra had. But then when he took the assessment, he matched every area that was important to the job. I mean, he had really strong scores on how he thinks and feels that area about under the hood was really, really strong. So he showed you a lot of capacity. So if you multiply his background three times the trimetrics of five, you got a score of 15. So he's a higher match. It's not exact. You could say, well, okay, is that really a right formula? It's just another objective way to kind of look at, you know, I we could go back and talk to Sandra and Sam now. And with Sandra, the fact that she scored a two on the trimetric scores, what we'd be able to do is give you interview questions where she wasn't a match for the role. And you could dig deeper in very specific areas and dig deeper in those areas with your reference with her references. And with Sam, you could just take, and now you you might not discount Sam now. You might say, okay, wait a minute. Let's talk to him a little bit more because we were discounting him because of his background. But boy, he's got a lot of talent here that really matches what we're looking for. So it's not to make the final decision just because Sam scored higher than Sandra. It's to inform what your next steps are. And you'll see that when we talk about the interview process. You know, always it's what, what do I do next? I've got a slide here telling you a little bit about Trimetrics so you understand we're talking about what Trimetrics is. It's EEOC and OFCCP compliant. We have up-to-date adverse impact studies, technical and reliability studies, peer-reviewed papers, white papers, case studies. You can check any of that out if you go to research.ttisi.com, research.ttisi.com. That is my business partner for this tool. They have a great brain research organization. They have decades, decades, 30 years in business, and that we have this huge non-discriminatory pool of millions of individuals because we're all over the world. We're in 65 countries and 48 languages. So we have great, a rich foundation of information to pull from to continually refine and make sure the material and the, uh, that you're getting measures what it says it does. So now let's look at the four steps of hiring with Trimetrics. First, we're going to have a candidate complete an assessment. Then we're going to, second is we're going to select the top trimetrics attributes for the position. Third, we're going to compare the candidate to the top job attributes. 
And fourth, we're going to use Trimetrics interview questions to consider, match, and figure out the next steps. So I'll walk through all of this with you. We do have a hiring with Trimetrics process document. So if you are a client, this document will be helpful to you because it summarizes these four steps and gives you everything you need. So let's first look at the candidate and the candidate completing instructions. If you're a new client with us, what we do is give you a sample email to have the, to send to candidates and you kind of make it your own. It gives instructions and gives an assessment link. And one, one of the things we talk about in there is make sure you take the assessment when you're in your normal state of mind. We ask them to allow for about 30 minutes. It usually takes 20 minutes, but some people take longer. So allow for 30 minutes with no interruptions. We encourage people while our assessments are mobile if they can take them in, in a law on a larger mobile device, not their phone or use their computer, it's a little easier. There's a couple of things where they need to drag items from one side to the other, and they'll just have a better time of that. So we have that in the instructions. We also have an option for them to take it in their native language. And so if they take it in their native language, they'll be, they could be completely proficient in English, but if your native language is something different, it might be helpful to them to take it in that because it, it they're, it's measuring how you're thinking and making decisions. And then the report will come back in English. So that is a, a, a thing to offer to people to get the best results. So when you get a candidate's assessment back, you'll see, you'll see some graphs in the assessment. You don't have to know the graphs that we do do certifications for people. And we have many clients who are proficient in graph reading, but the process we offer does not require that. But I want you to know if you're looking at this and then looking at a candidate assessment and you see some of these graphs, I want you to know what they are. The first graph is the disc assessment. And it's that image. I've got the image above it showing you that that's how we drive the second graph is measuring motivators. There's six motivators, and this is what puts gas in their tank. And the third graph is, is shows six bars. That's the science of axiology. That's the horsepower measuring how we think, feel, and make decisions. It's a very practical, but the graphs are additional information. And if you ever have questions on those, you can always call me and I can give you some more insight on you know where where this is it gives you more insight than the personal skills. So again, you do not need to know how to read the graphs. I just want you to know what they are and that you can learn about that is if it's of interest. The next thing you'll see in the assessment for a candidate is the 25 personal skills. They're ranked from highest to lowest. This is the horsepower part of the assessment. And if you're looking at this video and if you're in audio, I'll read you what some of the things are the top 7 for this candidate is diplomacy intact, employee development and coaching, goal achievement, interpersonal skills, leadership, persuasion, and presenting. And what we have is a graph, how they scored in each one, and a definition for each attribute. This employee's greatest personal skill strengths are. And when you look to the right of each statement, like for diplomacy intact, this candidate scored a 100. It's very well developed. You'll see a red bar underneath everything. So this is the great thing about our organization, the fact that we've been in business for so long, we're able to norm how someone scored against what the population scores were. So that red bar always represents, it's under the graph there, and it represents how 68% of the population scores. So you can see on, on this particular attribute, diplomacy attack, we had people in our database, the millions and millions that are in our database scored anywhere from probably a 37 to an 80. Two 
or three, and the mean is 59, this person scored 100. So what that not only do you see this person's score, now you can say, wow, they're far above population scores in this area. They did the same thing for employee development and goal achievement. They scored really strong. These are strong attributes for this particular candidate. So we want to make sure that we understand that and that they're able to use that on the job. So that's how you read the actual scores. And you want to look at the top seven personal skills for the position. And so I'm going to show you how to do that with this worksheet that we use. But is this a candidate a match to what is required for success in the role? And now we're looking at some more competencies. And there's 25 personal skills. And these are the lowest scoring competencies. And and what you want to look at is are these important for success? And in this particular graph, we're seeing accountability for others is the lowest. And it's the population scored anywhere from 65 to 85. And this person, the mean is 75. This person scored 57. So it's below what the population scored and it's, it's how 60, low below, below 68% of the population. So if accountability for others the ability to take responsibility for others' actions is an important attribute in the job. This is where you would do some follow-up. Now we're looking at the now we're looking at another science, this, this, another science, which is gas and tank, which is the motivators. And you'll see six items here. It's a motivator hierarchy. The top two are what someone is most interested in. And so what you see in this page is this person is most interested in theoretical and social altruistics. So they want to, theoretical is they want to always be learning. They want to gain knowledge. They like continuing education. They want intellectual growth. And then their number two is social altruistic. So they want to be of service to others. And so there are six motivators. We all score somewhere on these. When we take the assessment, we're answering what we value over the other items. You don't know how you're placing them at the time, but this is how it shows up. But this person, they need a job where they're going to be able to learn. They're going to be able to be a product expert and they're going to be able to help people, mentor, coach, serve others. And so what you'd also look at with this one is this person scored 68% far above population scores. If you see this person's social altruistic is a 73%. The mean is 43, 68% of the population scored 22 to 62. And this person scored 73. So they are passionate about being of service. So if they're in some role where they they don't obviously get to spend every day counseling, coaching, and serving, you're not going to get the best fit. You're not going to get those scores around you know, six times more likely to be committed and engaged in the work if it's not a service-oriented spend every day, five days a week being of service. The other thing you can look at is how somebody scored as number six. So this person scored as number six, individualistic political. So this means that they're least interested in this area. And you can see the score because it's far below the rest of the population. This person scored a 23 and the mean is 55. This person does not want to do this. They don't want to get personal recognition and have to work by themselves and lead others you know, to new decisions. They don't want to be in the spotlight. So if this was a position that required them to be in the spotlight, and remember I told you a lot of times people don't really know what their strengths and talents are, three out of four adults. So they may not realize that according to the assessment, 
They scored very low interest in that. I don't want to work alone. I don't want the spotlight on me. I'd rather collaborate than, you know, be out front and command an audience. So we would want to be aware of that and aware of that as their manager, too. It's a great management tool to understand what, what really serves someone, what puts gas in their tank and to help them get it. This is the last little part of the assessment you'll see is a behavioral hierarchy, again, that's ranked highest to lowest, and it's measuring interaction and communication tendencies and strengths. This is how we drive. Does the candidate's strength match what is needed on the job five days a week? So there are 12 attributes. It's all part of the DISC assessment. So this person's highest is consistent, persistent, following policy, people-oriented. And so you can kind of see, and it, it goes from highest to lowest there. Another bit of the assessment, there's some behavioral feedback that comes up and it's from the DISC assessment. Remember, the DISC is just how you drive. It's not everything about someone, but it does tell you five days a week what they will want to do. When you look at the attributes for the behavioral competencies, you'll see that all of those competencies are things are that I have I do every day. And you'll look at them and you say, well, I do some of that every day. But your DISC style is what you prefer to do what you're most oriented towards, what your natural communication and inter- interaction strengths are. And so you kind of, you want to look at that for the job and make sure they match. So that's how we drive. So the candidates completed the assessment. You now have a very quick review on how to read the assessment. One of the things you can do while the candidate is completing the assessment or even before the candidate completes the assessment is complete this superior performance attributes worksheet. We have a checklist and a worksheet that will help you walk through figuring out what the job needs. So the candidates completing the assessment, now you need to get very clear on what the job needs. And here's an example of one that was completed. This is a superior performance attributes worksheet that was completed. It's for an executive leader. It's a hiring, what it ends up giving you is a hiring template or a benchmark. And what you'll see here is the top priorities in the role. You'll see the attributes that were selected. You see horsepower, gas and tank, and how we drive is showing up. And you're going to see this is the template for hiring. These are the things we want to focus on so we can be better interviewers, that we can talk to candidates and ask these types of questions that will tell us whether they're good at this. And we're going to match their assessment to this type of template. This was for a nonprofit leadership benchmark. We had the board complete the worksheet and then compiled this template. And that's what they interviewed for when they had their candidates. And that's what we looked at and compared their assessment to. So let's break it down and go through the process of the superior performance attributes worksheet. The very first thing you do is you select the superior performance attributes. So we we call it a SPA, SPA, superior performance attributes worksheet. So you, you select the attributes. I'm going to show you what the worksheet looks like. And then I'm going to give you some examples. So The first thing you do is you think about the top three to five priorities in the job, and you've got to list those. So these are priorities of what is required for success in the job. So if you think about, here's another car analogy. When you're in your car, you've got a complete car driving manual in the glove box. But do you pull that out very often? No. And that would be comparable to a job description. You know, a lot of times you see three and four page job descriptions with a lot of information of everything that's involved in the job. That's a good thing to have. You want to have that to refer to. But when you're interviewing and when you're new on the job, you need to know what the dashboard is. So the dashboard when you're driving is, you know, how fast are you going? Do you have gas in your car? 
what's the water and heat index and the oil. This is what we're thinking about with priorities. We got to think about what's the dashboard? What are the three to five things that have to happen in the job or the job will fail or the candidate in the job will fail? What are the three things that have to happen? And so I'm giving you a couple of examples here. This was for a human resource advisor. I was training with a group of human resource leaders, and we very quickly did this on the fly. But this is what they came up with is the top three to five priorities in the job. First, responding to employee and manager questions in a timely manner, building relationships with leaders, effective recruiting, ability to execute, creative ways to engage employees, and knowledge of all the processes and procedures. So those are the top three to five priorities. So this is a great exercise you could use to help get clarity about the job. Every time I've done it, I've done it with large groups where you have all the site managers from across the country who do this same kind of instructional, it was an instructional flight instructor. They all were hiring the same. So they were all together to come up with a template that was the same. It clarified them having the conversation of just picking these priorities. It can clarify the thinking of the group. It can clarify the thinking of a hiring manager as to what is it that's most important. And it's very important that your interview team understand what these are because when if they're interviewing individually, they all need to be singing from the same song sheet. They need to have the same dashboard that they're talking about so they're giving the right information to candidates. And we also use these priorities to then make decisions because the attributes in the worksheet are all really great attributes. So what I've done now is gone to the first part of the superior performance attribute worksheet where it's talking about personal skills. You see over to the left, I've put the priorities that were created by this group for a human resource advisor. And so as they were selecting items, they needed to continually go back to what they said was most important because these skills, there's 25 of them. They're all things that you would want in a candidate, but all people are not strong at all 25 of these. So you want to know what are the top seven. And so they selected things like Interpersonal skills, customer focus, and you can kind of just see the list here if you're looking at it. The third one was persuasion. Uh, Seven's person. Number four was diplomacy and tact. Number five was employee development coaching. Number six was goal achievement. And number seven was personal accountability. And then I had them add self-management. Self-management and personal accountability are two skills that we see in all top performers in all positions. And so what you personal accountability is this ability to not blame others, take responsibility for mistakes. Self-management is this ability to manage your time and priorities. And so if people fail in those areas in any job, think about it, any job from CEO to person at the front desk and everything in between, those are top performing attributes. So you'll see those starred on the worksheet, but this worksheet guidance is to pick the top seven needed for mastery in the job. So what is needed for mastery, you pick the items, continually reference your priorities that were first selected so that you can select the things that truly help you make sure those those priorities are met. And when you're looking at the personal skills or anything you select, the litmus test is if this doesn't happen in the job, you know, will the job fail? So if somebody doesn't have interpersonal skills, will they be able to meet these priorities? And that was the number one they selected. So it's very important. It's a good place. You're starting to create a template now, you know, by using this worksheet. The next part of the worksheet is the gas and tank part. 
and it's what the job rewards, most rewards. And you'll see a list of six items and you can read those items, what they, this group selected. And I know this culture of this organization, the number one thing was individualistic political. That's rewards those who value recognition, freedom and control over their own destiny and others. And so that's it's that kind of organization. So they would need that if they're a human resource advisor to other leaders. Again, you can see the priorities on this page. I've placed them there as a reminder. They have to love to be of service, which is a social altruistic. And then they need to need to have a drive or an interest in social structure, rules and regulations, helping people follow and enforce the rules. The next thing is the behavioral traits. So there's 12 behavioral traits. And what what the worksheet is reminding you to do is to pick the three behaviors most needed throughout the day, every day. And remember, these are behavioral traits that we all move in and out of, but we also all have things that we prefer to do. Our communication, interaction, style, it's natural to us. And so it's hard sometimes to pick these. So you have to pick out just three most needed throughout the day, every day. So that's the thing that'll help you make a good decision. Every day, they're going to have to do this. And so they put people-oriented, versatile, and consistent. So that gives you an idea. And so when they're looking at candidates, they're going to look for those things. This is a human resource advisor benchmark. And this is a recap of how the sample position was created. And it just kind of shows you top priorities. Here's the seven attributes that were selected. Here's the motivators and here's the behaviors. So you have a template now that you can use to guide all of your interviewing. Now let's go back and look for the sales insurance person. So we've got insurance sales. This is another one just kind of going through this. This is with a a chief sales officer and the the goals that they had was sales was the number one goal for the job. They had a certain amount of revenue they had need to have by a certain date. They had to hold a certain number of prospecting. That was the second goal. They had to be able to handle paperwork and then they had to have the knowledge. And so that's the dashboard. If those things don't happen, the person's going to fail in the job. And then he selected, it was just, now this wasn't a group, this was just one leader that was doing a lot of the hiring and made the decision. So the number one attribute that this person selected was goal achievement. Second was personal accountability. Third was persuasion. Fourth was resiliency. Resiliency popped up because you got to, there's a lot of stress and adversity in this role. And so that was important to select. Self-management. Number six, customer focus. Next were the motivators that were selected, high utilitarian economic. We see that in a lot of top sales positions. And so we, this leader immediately selected that individualistic political. They were going to they're going to work on their own and need to be visible to others. And then behavioral traits, he picked the competitive, which is the will to win. That's a high D style. Urgency is also high D and then versatile. The job uh, requires adapting to various situations with ease. So now we got to pick those uh, needed most throughout the day. And then we have another template that you can see very easily, a recap of everything that was just created using the Superior Performance Attributes Worksheet. You see the top priorities in the role. It's a one pager that summarizes the top priorities in the role for this particular region and this organization for insurance sales. And then you see the top seven personal skills, the top three motivators or drivers, gas and tank, and the top three behaviors. So now this is what they'll use to compare candidates to and to drive their interview process. 
and it was created by completing the first step in the superior performance attribute worksheet. So what are some of the benefits of having a template like this? I mean, think about the clarity of that. Okay, so you don't have anything like this and you're going to interview a candidate. Think about how you would approach the interview and then think about how you would approach the interview if you had a template like this that you had created. This process is it's taken me a little while to describe it to you. You do it once and you'll be going through it very quickly in 20 minutes, creating something like this. And the value of now I'm having an interview and I know what I'm looking for and I've got interview questions that I can grab to match it. And it's going to help you avoid all of those interview mistakes, help your interview team do the same thing and just help you reduce risk. So some of the key benefits of taking the time to create this, and it's not a lot of time, but to create, select the superior performance attributes using our worksheet and then having this template or this benchmark is it reduces bias. Remember, that was one of the top interview mistakes and it increases focus on fit. It helps you also look at intangible things. You can you can overcome some of the, I look good, but I don't work and the um, inconsistent, non-reliable attitudes that you end up with because you'll be looking for the attributes needed for success in the job. You won't be just looking at the resume and you know how they seemed in the interview. You have more meat to go on, which will help reduce the bias. It'll help you focus on what matters most you know, you think about what your focus is without some type of template, and then you think about what your focus is when you have a template that you created that you know represents what's needed for success in the job. It creates all kinds of clarity and ease. It will then allow you, when you do use the assessment, to reveal matches. You can see where there's a gap, where there's follow-ups, and you're able to assess the level of risk and really go into a higher, very objective as opposed to crossing your fingers and your toes, hoping it'll work out. (laughs) And then everybody can debrief a report. You don't have to have expertise on understanding the graphs and, and, you know, having this technical knowledge or have me involved or one of our people on our team involved in debriefing reports for you. Once you're ready, you can just go off and run and go quick and not wait around on us. So we have this checklist that we include with this worksheet, but you selected the superior performance attributes. The second thing we ask you to do is check reliability. And these are for people who work independently. And we want a reliability score on this one part of the assessment of 0.70 or higher. This reliability score is pretty unique and interesting and is a good thing to have. It's with one of the graphs. And I'm showing it you here. It's the dimensional balance page graph. It's a part of the assessment that measures how we think and make decisions. And it's very, it's a great attribute of this assessment because if I started to take this part of the assessment and you finished it, the assessment would pick up the difference. Like, okay, they're thinking very differently and something is off here. Sometimes people are interrupted or they are stressed out and they don't read those instructions very well. And so you might have an unreliable report. So what we want to do is is assess whether it's 0.70 or higher. And you see this in this image. We always check it. But if you're working independently, like you're running with the assessments, it's the last graph on the candidate reports, page 17. And if it's not reliable, if it's 0.70, then you let us know. If somehow we didn't tell you, you get a retake link. But it's a great thing to know about whether they said, okay, we'll say we'll take it, but we're going to get my friend who's really smart to take it. <laughs> and so it will, it will alert us of some inconsistencies, and that's a good thing. 
So we're, we're going through with our steps, hiring with trimetrics. We've gone so far, step one, the candidate completed the assessment. Step two, we selected the trimetrics attributes for the position. Now we're going to compare candidates to the top job five areas and areas of fit. So we're going to compare the candidates. So as a reminder, we've got these three areas that I showed you with a car analogy, how we drive, gas and tank, and horsepower. And I referenced these earlier, but I want to flesh it out a little bit more here. Something we don't measure, but that you're doing is roads traveled and future plans. That's the car analogy. That's talking about their background, their experience, and their knowledge. Figuring that out during the interview, asking those types of questions. Trimetrics is not measuring that. And it's also not measuring future goals. I've seen people who are a good fit. They're a good fit in the assessment. They have a good background. They're a good fit the culture, but they don't really want to do the work or they, they turn out to be one of those attitudes where they're inconsistent and unreliable. Sometimes that's related to their goals weren't fleshed out where they really want to go. The truth about that was not fleshed out and the job is, you know, impeding some of that. So that's something to figure out while you're interviewing, but roads traveled and future plans is a part of this. And then the other part that we don't measure that you're assessing as you're meeting candidates, especially have you, if you have a group and you make sure the group tells you, covers this and talks about, do they, uh, where are they going to be parked? So we talk about it being a garage where they're parked. Culture of the organization and of the team and with the leadership team that they're going to work with and the peers and colleagues, do they fit that? I mean, sometimes people can be a fit in every other area, but they don't work well within the culture, which I have seen and often get called into to say, can you help us help this person, you know, work because they're not fitting in. And so that's something to take into account. So these are five areas that impact performance. It is a, a model that you can put in your back pocket as a leader and as a hiring uh, interview manager and for development to just understand where is the match and where could there be potential gaps and are there questions we want to do in the interview process for follow-up and then for, of course, coaching. It gives you an idea of where to follow these are two insurance sales candidates. And what we've got on the page is we've got candidate A, which is Sally, and candidate B is Jane. And on the left-hand side of this little graph is five areas of fit, roads traveled, gas and tank, how they drive, under the hood, personal skills, and then where they're parked and overall fit. So I've just got colors here to represent the different aspects. Sally had, I'll just go ahead and click through on Sally. And Sally, I'll go ahead and do Jane too. Sally matched green light on roads traveled and green light on style. So they interviewed her, they had all their input, and then they also had, as they went into the interview, the candidate match. So they had their benchmark and their template. Where did she match? Where did she not match? She didn't match in what they said was needed for success in the role, the gas and tank. And if we use that insurance sales template that we talked about, she did, and it was yellow because she wasn't, so she was somewhat close, but not high utilitarian, economic, and not individualistic, political. Those were some of the rewards or motivators that were selected by that one chief sales officer. And then there's a red light under some of the personal skills. So there's some follow-up areas for Sally if she's still a candidate, but those are some risk areas that we want to follow up on. Jane had a green light on all of these. And when they checked all five areas and they had the interview team, they were able to say, well, she matched in all areas. So they just kind of want to review interview feedback because the next step is, okay, what do we do next? Do we interview more? What do we do? And then with Sally, there were three 
there was three attributes that did not match one in the motivators and then one, a couple in the personal skills. So a follow-up, if they're going to have follow-up or talk to references, they want to follow up on these attributes that were very important. That were the top seven that required for mastery in the job. Well, Sally didn't match a couple of those. So that's what you have. And we have a, this is a sample debrief worksheet. It doesn't have to be this fancy. And sometimes it is depending on like, sometimes we create these, we can give you a template so you can create it. Sometimes I have it on a piece of paper and I'm just like, this is what's needed. And here's how the person score. But it does show you the top seven personal skills for this role. And you'll see the coloring of green and yellow, green and blue says, okay, great match. Yellow is a fair match and red is a poor match. And so we often talk about level of risk. You saw that earlier when I was talking to about the two candidates that were interviewing for a role. Level of risk is, is important. And I use that a lot. One to five. One is not a match in many areas. They have the highest level of risk. Three is not a match in some areas. There's a fair amount of risk. And then five is the greatest level of match and there's less risk. Notice I say less risk on five. They could match the assessment perfectly, but we're complex beings. So it doesn't mean they're, you know, assured that there's no risk. There's less risk because they're matching things that you said was important. So this is the mind map for comparing this candidate to your template because this is the template and this is the candidate scores. And then here's notes. So it doesn't have to be anything formal like that, but it can be if you if you have notes like that or have to have a group that's interviewing. I want to quickly show you how do you know whether someone's a very strong or good match, a fair match or a poor match. And um, uh, here's some examples here. This is how somebody scored on social altruistic and theoretical and the motivators. They scored above 68% of the population, that red bar that you see under people, people's scores. If they're above the mean on the high end or above all 68, they're a very strong match, which gives you the blue. If they are above the mean, so this is one with a flexibility. This person scored 81. The mean is 76. So they're just barely above the mean, but they're above the mean. That's a, also a good match. Where you get the fair match is when they're below population scores. Again, there's always that red bar. That's our norming that we address and look at on a regular basis. 68% of the population. How did they score? The, the mean for this particular attribute is 58. This person scored a 50. So they're below the mean, but they're within 68% of the population that scored. You know, so there's people score anywhere from 35 to 82 on this attribute. And this person's still a, within the frame of the population. So they're a fair match. Where we say they're a poor match or where they get the red light is and this red light does not mean stop. It's just telling you stop and look at this. Doesn't mean you won't hire somebody who doesn't match an attribute given the market today, but it does tell you what you're looking at. It does give you some idea of where they might need some development or things that you're going to be working with that you could help them. And it's also allowing you to assess risk. But this is one accountability for others where the person scored 57 and the population, 68% of the population scores 65 to 87, and they scored 57. So they are below the population scores, which means, okay, that means a lot more when they're below the rest of the population. They're really not strong in this, and a lot more of the population scores higher than that. So that's where you just kind of say, okay, a little bit more risk here. If this is our number one attribute and this person scored this, we definitely want to follow up on it.
Again, we're always keeping in mind that the assessment is less than 30%, but it can guide decisions and behaviors or next actions. So what you'd want to do is use the trimetrics interview questions. This is step four of the process to consider match and next steps. So candidates completed it. You have your attributes. You've compared it to it. Now we're going into some follow-up. And here are sample interview questions. This is one from the attribute under the hood, customer focus. Customer focus, our definition is a commitment to customer satisfaction. And here are two competency behavioral-based interview questions. Tell me what you think of them. I'll read it to you. Give me an example of a time when you knew the customer was wrong, but you had to accommodate their wishes. How did you handle it? What did you say? What did you do? How did you feel about it? And if you're an interviewer, you would ask that question. Say somebody scored low in customer focus. And or you're just asking these questions in the first interview because it's your number one personal skill under the hood, horsepower skill that you need in the job. You ask that question and then you be silent and you let them answer it. And you prompt them if they don't give you very specific examples, then you prompt them to tell you more. If someone is good at this skill, they will have examples. No matter how hard the question is, they'll be able to come up with something. Here's a second question under customer focus. Tell me about a situation where you were able to anticipate a customer's needs before the customer even mentioned what they wanted. So these are competency behavioral-based interview questions. They are basically competency-related. So they're measuring customer focus and they're behavioral-based Competency behavioral based, meaning they're going to give you, you're asking them to give you examples and situations. They're not open ended. You're asking for, about something specific. Lip service lies, past behaviors don't. Let me say that again. Lip service lies, but past behaviors don't. So if someone has good customer, as I said just a moment ago, has good customer focus skills, they're going to be able to come up with past times and past examples. If they have a weak example, let it go. Press for specifics and let them give you what they can. But if they scored low on it and then they have a hard time giving you good examples, it gives you some insight and you can factor that into the equation of what's the level of risk? You know, What's our capability of helping train this person on being more customer focused? It's just, it's basically these, these interview questions are tools in your tool chest to help you sort out who's going to give you that champion attitude. So you're going to listen for solid on-target examples. You're going to probe for specifics and you're going to do the thing where we talked about earlier about when we're talking about interview mistakes, letting the candidate talk 75% of the time. If you change that piece, you have these good interview questions and you change that piece where you let them talk and you ask for specifics. It is give you a big, big benefit and make a big, big difference. So there's a couple more. Here's another example of the under the hood. Remember, under the hood is not visible until they're on the job. They're six months down the road. They're on the job. And then you realize, oh, they're not really good at planning an organization. They don't have the ability. This is our definition. They don't have the ability to implement processes and procedures very effectively. So the way we're going to ask a question about that using these competency behavioral-based interview questions is, have you ever faced a day in which you couldn't get everything done that you had planned? How did you handle it? And then here's a second question. We have like five or six that we can share with you for each one of these, but do you consider yourself to be a good time manager? Share with me the planning system you use and show me how you use it. Again, it's that 
lip service, oh, yes, I'm really good at planning and organization, to everybody can say that, but can they give you past behaviors? And past behaviors don't lie (laughs) because if they can give you past behaviors, oh, this is what I do, this is how I do it, and it's very detailed, they've got planning and organization down. And then here's another example. If if one of the motivators put gas in tank was traditional regulatory, which is a drive or interest in following processes, procedures, and rules, that could be a position um, like that human resource advisor role. They have a lot of processes and procedures the organization needs people to follow. So that was part of their, their benchmark or template and say this person scored low on it. You would want to see if they have any tendencies toward traditional regulatory. Is there absolute right and absolute wrong? How do you decide what's right and what is wrong? This is you're testing out how they what they think about following processes, procedures. Do you sometimes feel that things would be easier if there were fewer rules and procedures? How do you deal with it? And so you're you're testing out something that you know is important, rules, processes, and procedures, and you're seeing how this person's approach is to that. So those are sample interview questions. What I want to go through real quick is the hiring manager debrief and conversation process. So as you you follow these four steps, you've got your your benchmark, you've got your candidate assessment. Here's how you step back and think about the processes. Okay, what did I like about this candidate? Irregardless of the assessment, just think about the whole package, the background, all those five aspects, culture fit the assessment, the interview, everything. Think about everything. What did you really like? And ask the flip side, what concerns do you have? And I promise you, whatever concerns you have, you need to verbalize them. Bad part of instinct, you know, when we make a split decision and say, well, I like you. There's also some good instinct where you hear things and you say, well, I'm too busy. I don't have time to think about it. I want you to write those down too. And I often, if I'm debriefing an assessment, I want to know these things from the hiring manager. I want them to recap it for themselves. And I want them to tell me that so that I can look through that lens when I'm looking at the assessment. There was a research study done where there was 100,000 new hires and a large, you know, and they tracked who didn't make it. And then they went back to the hiring managers. And most of the time, the hiring manager said, you know, I thought something wasn't quite right, but I was in a hurry. I didn't have time. I just thought it was just my thought. I didn't trust my instincts. So while we want to be objective, we also want to make sure that we're paying attention to something that sticks in your mind that says, okay, something about that doesn't seem right and verbalize it and follow up on it because it's expensive. It's time up front, saved time down the road. You know, it's a little time up front, saved costs down the road and headache. So once you've done that, think about what you like about the candidate, what concerns you have. You want to review the benchmark. You've seen samples of that now with the human resource advisor and the insurance sales position where we have that summary sheet. You want to make sure the candidate matches and you're looking for potential gaps. And oftentimes we're helping you with that, or you may be doing that on your own. Think about the level of risk. Remember, we have that scale one to five. One is a there's a lot of risk and mismatches based on the assessment piece. And five is there's a lot of match and appears to be less risk. So you look at that. And then lastly, use those sample interview questions for a second or third interview. Okay, so that's the process. And a couple of human resource leaders that use the interview questions have said this is a little bit of feedback. The Trimetrics interview questions are beneficial. They help me be a better business partner. So they are often trying to support the hiring managers and working to do that. So having these 
they're for you to use, whether you're supporting other people who are finishing up the interview process or you are the hiring manager. They are great tools. We have another great tool for you, which I will put in the show notes, is how to conduct revealing reference checks. This is, again, from that book, Top Grading. I call it revealing reference checks because you know a lot of times you have those concerns and we don't want you to ignore them and if you have those concerns that I just talked about you know pay attention to your gut instinct in that area where your concerns are i want you to plan another interview i want you to use the assessment and i want you to use this tool when you're checking with references to follow up on that area it's a process that gives you step by step it'll be in the show notes you can access it But it basically is asking you to get some written permission from the candidate to allow you to do a more detailed reference check and then having the candidate reach out to their references to say, call in advance, give them a heads up. And then it just gives you a strategy on how to do it and a sample script and sample questions. And it works every time. And wanted to just assure you, a lot of people get a little nervous about revealing reference checks or they think, well, they're useless. This tool will help you make them more useful. If you use it, it will make a difference. And I'm going to give you a little feedback from an employment lawyer who is also an author, Donald Weiss, talked about this. And he says, asking for reference information is perfectly legal. So those of us who get nervous about reference checks, it's perfectly legal. Giving out false and malicious information is illegal. So If they are sharing something about how a candidate or employee performed and it's false or malicious, then that would be illegal. But you're asking for true feedback. Right. And then he also says also withholding certain negative information can be illegal. So that's also something to think about. So this process works. It's worth a little bit of extra effort. You can see it in the show notes at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash hiring with trimetrics. I'd love for you to try it and give me some feedback. Another thing it talks about in here is if say the candidate is currently working in an organization and you're not able to ask them for a reference check, you can make their hiring contingent upon any negative surprises because you can't, if they've not left yet, you haven't made the offer yet, you can't do the reference check on their current employer. So A little bit different way to approach reference checks, but I guarantee you it will make a difference and I encourage you to use it and then let me know what happens. So we're wrapping up here. We're getting close to wrapping up. This is what I've gone through, the four steps of the hiring process. We do have a document that we give to clients and we have some additional training that we give to clients. So this document summarizes everything. Another client said that this document is real helpful contains everything you need. It has links. It has links to that attributes worksheet, has links to our interview questions. So it gives you everything you need to do to go through those four steps, the candidate email and everything. So we try to make it easy for you. We also try to share with you additional information. So some of the tools that we have for hiring. One, you can reach out to me if you'd like to know more about that hiring with trimetrics process document. If you're a client and you don't have that, if you're somebody who's just curious about trimetrics, we can have a conversation. Some hiring manager tools that are complimentary, go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash 13 mistakes for that top 13 mistakes interview quiz that we have that's online. It's pricelessprofessional.com forward slash one, three mistakes. And then what we also have are a short ebook 
and my book that I wrote years ago, but is very relevant, 70 Best Practices, How to Hire Superior Performance Performers, 70 Best Practices. I can provide any of that to you if any of that would be helpful. The PDF book that I have is an optional email training program that goes through, sends a tip a day, and it's really a best practice every day for 70 days. So it adds, helps people get through the book. And the short ebook, The Three Biggest Interview Mistakes, goes into more detail about what we talked about today about the three biggest interview mistakes. And then this podcast, wakeupeagerworkforce.com. I've got many hiring tools and resources on different podcast episodes. So as we get to close here today, you've got to know this. Are they going to be happy? Are they going to be productive? Will they want to stay? Will they own their job? Will they contribute their talent generously? This is a, a statement that represents the bottom line of what we cover today. From everything that we started out with, which is what Trimetrics measures, to looking at attitude, looking at strengths, helping people know their talents, having this fit that matters. We want to focus on fit. Are they going to be happy is the first line. Research tells us through the Gallup organization and common sense tells us, think about yourself. When you've been happy at work, haven't you been more productive? When your talents lined up, what was needed for success on the job, you wanted to stay and own your job. So all of these statements represent somebody who's a good fit for the job. And they have all five areas needed for superior performance that we've talked about today. This quote was written or said by Robert Hartman. He is the founder of the tool that measures how we think and make decisions, those 25 personal skill attributes. He said this in the 1960s. So we always think that everything's so different today, but it was important back then. And it's been important all along and it's important today and will be important in the future. So we need happy, productive, stay, own their job, contribute their talent generously, people on our teams. And we want Trimetrics to help you do that. And I've hopefully outlined how that will help you. You have the right tools if you're using Trimetrics and and a lot of the information to put people in the right seats. And if you use these tools and you think about these five areas of, of performance, how we drive gas and tank, roads traveled, future plans, and culture and team, you think about fit in these, you will create a champion team. You'll have people that have that champion attitude. So we've got to get away from the idea that anybody can be trained to do any job. A lot of old timers and new timers think that, oh, if if I like them enough, they can do it. It's good to like them. And maybe they could do it, but there's more to the puzzle and not that is not reducing the risk if we have that mindset. We've got to stop thinking that with it. I'll just train them up and I'll, you know, they just need to try hard enough. You know, if you did, you could excel. Anybody can excel at any job. But the thing is, is people bring who they are to work, to your job, to your company. And who they are is not just their background and their experience and how they look when you're talking to them during the interview. It's their natural communication style. It's their motivators, what puts gas in their tank. And it's their what their strengths are, personal skill-wise. They bring all of that to the job and to your work. And so we want to recognize all five areas We want to use Trimetrics to help you focus on fit. And we're back to a picture. If you're looking at the video or PowerPoint slides, we're back to the picture of the happy guy in the car. He's a fit for the job and he's doing a good job driving. And that's what we want is we want Trimetrics to help be the tool that helps you 
helps you get the fit. So to get the show notes again is to go and the try and the video and the transcript, go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash hiring with trimetrics, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash hiring with trimetrics. Look at our wake up eager workforce.com, wake up eager workforce dot com, all one word for additional episodes on hiring and communication and leadership. You have, you'll see a directory there and you'll see, you know, this is our 81st episode. So there's plenty to go look at there. We can also, we're very active on LinkedIn. I am Susie Price and so is Priceless Professional Development. So connect with us on LinkedIn. And if you want to reach out to me, you can reach out to me there or on our website at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Susie. Thank you for tuning in. I can't wait to connect with you again. I love all this information. I want it to help you. I want I want it to be a wake-up eager world. I want there to be a wake-up eager workforce. I want people to use their talents and strengths. I want them to be placed in the right places and for you to have the people in the right seats you know, so that everybody can thrive as much as possible. So thank you for tuning in and look forward to next time we connect. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 